Think you've heard everything about integration? Think again. Introducing the podcast that will unfog the magic or even black art of integration. The unheard truth about people, process, and technology. This podcast is brought to you by Thor Ingham, a father of two great boys and chief technology officer at Abella, a Norwegian consultancy that specializes in integration. Thor was also named IBM champion for automation in 2022 and 2023. Keep listening for eye-opening episodes that will answer all your questions and surely unfog your perception of how to successfully adopt integration in your workplace. If you haven't already, now would be a good time to subscribe, follow, and like so you don't miss out on future podcasts. Now, here is Thor Ingham. Welcome to today's episode where we're talking about the fascinating world of APIs and how they're changing our experiences in the real world. From Tesla's implementation of Spotify to Apple's music's onboarding process, we're delving into how businesses are using their APIs to their advantage and why it's important to consider your place in the API economy. API is an application programming interface. APIs in this context interfaces with a contract that defines the expected input and output that others can consume. The data could be stock prices, location of restaurants, or in this case, an API for music. So what is API management? To me, API management is the solution that you use for publishing and securing a digital product in the form of an API. API management will typically provide a CMS, that's a content management system, for hosting your API documentation. This is a place where you can author and design the APIs. You will also typically have a runtime engine, which one will refer to as an API gateway. The runtime engine will have different features, such as securing your API, or even throttling how many times an external person or application can invoke your API. This leads way to publishing your APIs using different access tiers. So you could, for instance, have an API that's free to use. That API might be available once a minute. And if a person subscribes to your API, you might let them refresh the data every second or every 10 seconds. This is one of the things that your API gateway typically will support. So the title of this podcast is Tesla, Apple Music and Spotify and APIs in the real world. So as some of you know, I'm a Tesla owner. I drive a Tesla and I can attest to the fact that it's more than just a car. It's an experience. We have over-the-air updates. We have native Spotify support. And now we have native Apple Music support. To me, Tesla has truly revolutionized the way we think about cars. And when it comes to customer service, they have an app-based problem submission and feedback system, which is unparalleled. Whenever I've had an issue with my car, Tesla comes to my home and they fix it on site. I handle the process through the app from reporting the problem to providing feedback 
and even the payment. Now a fun fact about my Tesla, which is a Tesla Model 3 performance, it does 0 to 100 kilometers an hour in 3.0 seconds. That's 62 miles per hour in 3 seconds. It's very fun. But what's even more interesting is how they've incorporated various digital products into their cars. So Tesla consumes APIs and give their drivers more. Let's think about this. Tesla makes cars while Spotify and Apple provide music and podcasts. Spotify, which had an API available before Apple entered the streaming market, provided Tesla with a differentiator. And now every single Tesla sold comes with Spotify for free. But what about Apple Music? How will Apple get people to use their service instead of Spotify? Remember, Apple just recently released their API and made it available for Tesla. From my perspective, Apple, they are not doing much. Although I did personally switch to Apple Music because of my Apple TV, my Apple family and Apple Arcade subscription, it doesn't make financial sense for me to keep paying for Spotify family now that it's available in my car. And the onboarding process? It was frictionless. I simply scanned the QR code with my phone in the car and voila, it was set up. This is what we refer to as an onboarding process for your APIs. It has to be easy. If it's not easy, people will stick to what they're already using. So not all APIs are created equal. Spotify's API, for example, allows me to stream on my Xbox, my PlayStation, and my dedicated media streamers without relying on the phone to stream the data. Meanwhile, what Apple does is they offer AirPlay. So unless you use a Sonos device or a Google Home speaker, you will be streaming from your phone to your device. This could be due to some sort of exclusive contract, an example of digital products having different tiers, as I mentioned earlier. So what does this mean for businesses? Well, if you offer a service that others can benefit from you, you need to create an API. You need to promote it. And if you promote it, you can be part of the API economy. Now, integration is key here. A robust integration that serves an API will make or break a great API. But using the right API management solution can be tricky. And this is why I recommend looking into IBM API Connect or SoftwareAG's webmethods.io platform, both of which are safe to deploy on the internet and trusted by a vast majority of banks, insurance companies, retailers, you name it. If you have a business and that business is selling, let's say, takeaway food, you need to be on Foodora or a similar service and it has to work. If you offer financing, then you need an API so that you can be integrated with online marketplaces where transactions happen. If you are the first, then you might not be needed on the marketplace or have a hard time being better than the first listing. So if you have a library of content or a service that others can benefit from, then creating an API to open up and share that content or service is crucial. By developing an API and making your content and services accessible to others, you can join the growing API economy.
you will notice here that I'm talking about public APIs. And I'm talking about public APIs in a way where we are exposing data to others outside the organization. There are times when you might want to open up APIs within your organization, and that's totally fine. Just make sure that you're creating APIs that do not expose your internal legacy systems directly. You shouldn't be creating what we call an API facade pattern. You should be hiding the intricacies and difficulties and legacy of your old systems. There's no need to use an API management solution as a proxy for existing services if those existing services are trash. Another nice thing by creating proper digital products and exposing them as APIs is that it will make it easier to swap out old applications with new applications because your consumers, they're relying on a contract, as mentioned earlier, a contract that defines what data they need to sell and what data they expect to get. This contract can be created using your business language. It doesn't have to contain any single reference to your backend systems. The API economy, and this refers to the ecosystem of application programming interfaces or APIs that are available for developers to tap into and build upon. Companies that provide APIs are enabling developers to create new applications and services that leverage their content and services. This not only spreads the reach and impact of your company's offerings, but it also fosters innovation. We have an example in Norway where the national rail company published an API that would allow you to provide a location and then get a response which would state when the next train is arriving at your station. They forgot about the API. They didn't publish it or do any marketing around it. But one day there was a developer who had one of the first smartwatches. It was a Pebble watch. This person created an application for his Pebble watch and for his train station. And after he wrote an article about what he had done, they soon realized that, ah, somebody else can use our APIs to create new services using our data. This is a good thing. And just a, a very simple example of if you publish and make something available, others will do something smart with it. Some other examples of companies that have embraced the API economy include YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Salesforce. These companies have opened up APIs to their platforms, which has enabled external developers to create new applications and integrations that extend the functionality of the services. There are even examples of companies that rely on these APIs, and they are more than just a new service. They're an entirely new business. So by promoting an API for your library of content, you too can participate in this API economy and benefit from increased reach, engagement, and even revenue opportunities. It's important to remember that deep and comprehensive integration is absolutely essential. 
robust, seamless integrations that provide a cohesive API experience will make or break an otherwise great API. You can dress up a farm pig with makeup and lipstick, but at the end of the day, it's still just a pig underneath the superficial enhancements. To put it another way, API integration is like a chain. It is only as strong as its weakest link. If there are gaps, inconsistencies, or a lack of cohesion across these integrations, the overall user experience will suffer greatly. The most stunning visual design and cutting-edge features cannot compensate for a fragmented, disjointed API integration strategy. Users will quickly become frustrated with the lack of flow and harmony across the integrations, just as lipstick and makeup cannot transform a pig into something it's not. A pretty API facade cannot mask the deeper issues of weak integrations and lack of cohesion. For an API to truly succeed and gain widespread adoption, deep integration that provides a seamless end-to-end -end experience is absolutely required. Anything less is like dressing up a pig in lipstick. It may look nice on the surface, but it's still a pig underneath. I think I've made myself clear here. Nice services foster nice APIs. Ask yourself. So ask yourself the following question. What is my place in the API economy? I have developed a set of frameworks and guidelines for API development. API governance and how to structure organizations to effectively implement an API strategy. If we look at tools, IBM API Connect is a great API management solution. It has an API gateway that is safe to deploy on the internet and is trusted by a vast majority of banks and insurance companies. I'd recommend looking into this one. Now, if you're a Microsoft Azure customer and you need to get started quickly, until IBM offers theirs as a service on Azure, they currently have it on AWS and IBM Cloud. So in the meantime, I would check out Software AG's webmethods.io platform. Uh, you can even use your Microsoft credits to pay for it. One could say that Software AG is leading the pack on Azure. It really is a one-click deploy. And in my opinion, it's miles ahead of Microsoft's API solution. Depending on your requirements, of course. It's relatively easy to choose an API management solution these days, as long as you can ensure that it's capable of running on any cloud computing platform, as well as in any on-premise data center using the same skill set. Life is simply too difficult and complicated to rely on native solutions for two different cloud platforms, and yet another solution for on-premise infrastructure. That at least is my personal opinion on the matter. I have just over 30 developers in our company and we would never be able to call ourselves an expert on everything. So we target Software AG, Web Methods and IBM API Connect. So while there are many options available for API management, trying to utilize multiple disparate solutions across various deployment environments can quickly become an untenable situation it will introduce unnecessary complexity, it will reduce your operational efficiency, and your teams will have to maintain expertise and manage the differences of each platform. 
a single unified API management solution that can span both cloud and on-premise infrastructure is ideal. It will abstract away the underlying complexity for your developers and enable a consistent experience across environments. Such an approach also allows for a more seamless deployment. It will reduce friction, it will reduce bottlenecks, and it will help you deliver APIs. Though employing native solutions for each platform has its benefits in some regards, the additional challenge often outweighs these benefits for most organizations. So in my view, the flexibility and simplicity afforded by a platform agnostic API management solution is preferable in the vast majority of cases. But again, that's my personal opinion based on my experience. APIs are becoming increasingly important in our digital world. Whether you're a business selling takeaway food or offering financing, you need to consider your place in the API economy. And remember, the key to success is integration. So let's dive into some examples of consumer APIs that you might have come across. There are a number of examples of businesses that have grown significantly due to the API economy. So Twilio, Twilio is a cloud communication platform that provides APIs for businesses to build communication solutions like messaging, voice and video capabilities into their applications. Twilio's API-driven approach has allowed businesses to add communication features to their applications without needing to build them from scratch. As a result, Twilio has grown rapidly. Their revenue has increased from 160 or so million dollars in 2014 to just over a billion in 2019, and it keeps growing. Another example from financing is Stripe. So Stripe is a payment processing platform that provides APIs for businesses to accept payments online. Their API-driven approach has made it really easy for businesses to integrate payment processing into their applications without needing to set up a separate merchant account. Stripe's success is re reflected in its rapid growth with the company being valued at over 95 billion in 2021. Stripe is actually so easy to implement in your online store that they provide you, I think it's five or what, five, six, seven lines of code you have to write to be able to accept billing. And that's pretty great. And remember, Stripe isn't the bank. They're just an API that allows you to interact with the banking and finance systems available. Now, Shopify is an e-commerce platform that provides APIs for businesses to create online stores. Their API-driven approach allows businesses to customize their online stores and integrate them with other applications. So they provide you with payment processes and shipping providers. Shopify has seen a huge growth and they increased from 200 million in 2015 to nearly 3 billion in 2020. And another example that I believe everybody has heard about is Airbnb. Airbnb is a platform. They provide an API for third-party developers to build applications that integrate with Airbnb's booking system. Airbnb doesn't own a single apartment or a single house or a single flat. They just provide a platform where people can 
list their resident up for uh, hiring. Finally, there's a site called commoditiesapis.com. They offer a marketplace for consumer goods and prices. So what you can see here is prices of various commodities. For instance, if I wanted to have the latest price specific date or even today's date, I could go to their API and I will get the price for coffee. I'll get the price for burnt oil. I'll get the price for corn, lumber, many examples. The reason I'm bringing this up is that commoditiesapi.com, they also have a very simple pricing tier, which I mentioned earlier. The tiers of pricing is how you distinguish your customers or consumers of the API and manage the way to monetize it. So what commoditiesapis.com have done is they offer a free tier, which gives you 100 API invocations a month for free. They will give you limited support. They will only give you new data on a 60 minute interval, and they will give you some historical data and so on. Now, if you go up to their professional tier, you can have 10,000 API calls a month. You can have an SLA for your API consumption. You will have access to premium support and you get updates every 60 seconds and a few other things, which I won't read off their website here. And for this, they charge $100 a month. So they'll get you in for free. And if you like the service and you build up your app or application or website using their data, and you see that you're a success, then you can probably happily pay $100 for the data to provide an even better service for your customers. The interesting thing with the data they have is that you could probably predict market movement to some extent and then help to understand what industries to invest in. Going back to the title of the podcast, we'll look into Apple and what Apple have done. So Apple acquired a company called Shazam in 2018, I believe. And this acquisition was driven by several factors. First off, Shazam's technology was already integrated into Apple's Siri's voice assistant, which allowed us to identify which song is playing. Now, by acquiring Shazam, Apple could fully integrate the technology into its ecosystem and offer us a more seamless experience. Shazam has a massive database of music and audio content, which could help Apple improve its music recommendation algorithms and enhance the user experience of Apple's music streaming service, Apple Music. A third reason for buying it is that they may have been interested in Shazam's advertising and affiliate marketing capabilities to enhance their own advertising efforts and generate additional revenue streams. And finally, my guess is they bought Shazam to, as a strategic move to prevent, for instance, Spotify from acquiring a company and potentially integrating the technology into Spotify. So in overall, Shazam will allow Apple to improve its technology, enhance its music streaming service, and strengthen its position in the digital music market. So the way Shazam works is they have an app, or they used to have an app, and it would use your device's microphone, it would capture a sample of the audio, and then it would compare it to a database of music, and it would tell you this is the song that's playing. 
Now, this is interesting. How can you make money from an idea like this? Well, Shazam's business model, at least in the early days, was primarily based on advertising and partnerships. So you would have a free version, which had limited functionality, and then you would have a paid version of the app with additional features. Now, what Shazam did is they monetized the free app by displaying targeted ads to users. They knew what music users liked, so they could have a quite large hit ratio for their adverts. You could then use the platform to promote products and services, and you would know that you would reach a pretty high engaged audience. Sam also partners with music labels and artists who offer exclusive content, promotions and merchandise to users who Shazam their music. And Shazam would also generate revenue through affiliate marketing. So you would have a link in Shazam would allow you to purchase the music either on Apple Music or take you to Spotify and allow you to listen to the music. My guess is that Shazam would earn a commission on any purchase made through these links. So if I used Shazam to hear a song and went to Spotify and then signed up to Spotify, I would suspect that Shazam had a commission on that conversion. So Shazam had a multifaceted business model which was centered around capitalizing on its immense user base in order to provide advertisers and partners with a highly engaged audience and offering users an efficient method for identifying and exploring new music and other audio content. Now, I suspect they also had a significant big data monetization in place. I would be astonished if there were not a paid API that, ena that enabled record labels to observe emerging trends and determine which artists they should promote more vigorously in real time. Based on how people were using their app, they could predict which music people were listening to and which new music people were trying to figure out the name of. They could probably heat map that a certain song is popular in New York, but not really that popular in, let's say, Oslo or in Stockholm. And this is a pretty good use case for big data, an interesting thing to think about. So Shazam, they would provide insights into music consumption patterns, and this would also help you target advertising based on users' listening histories and interests. And now, remember, Shazam, they didn't have music. They didn't really have any physical products. They just built a service on top of other companies' offerings. So moving on, to successfully transition an organization into a digital platform business, the leaders of the company must cultivate an open-minded mentality that welcomes innovative ideas and fresh perspectives. You need to adopt a flexible approach towards technology that enables the development and launch of new digital platforms as well as strategic partnerships. It's also crucial to implement a system for managing dig digital assets. This system could include processes for creating new assets, updating existing assets, and retiring obsolete assets. You probably need to restructure your organization and redesign compensation plans to prioritize digital platforms over standalone products and services. You need to devise a novel method of handling risk and intellectual property rights that align with the digital business model in which critical assets are shared with partners. 
By embracing an open mindset and adopting a malleable stance on the technology, actively managing key digital assets, reorganizing around platforms and mitigating risks in innovative ways, companies can successfully transform themselves into a digital platform business. However, this transformation requires effort from leaders and willingness from employees to pivot towards a new digital-first mentality. Now, I understand that if you are in the business of selling um, cars or selling uh, dairy products, you're probably not going to be a digital-only company. But it still remains true that you need to do some organizational changes. At the very least, you need to have a business product owner who's an owner of digital products. Companies that fail to understand that APIs are a software product in their own right and do not manage them with the same care and strategic oversight as they do their other digital offerings, they will ultimately struggle. Treating APIs simply as a technical capability rather than full products with life cycles, roadmaps, and business models is a recipe for missing opportunities and seeding the ground to more API-savvy competitors. APIs, they're not just technical interfaces sitting in the background that enable applications to integrate with data and services. They are vital means of reaching new customer segments, forging partnerships, generating revenue, and improving operational efficiency. You'll also achieve innovation at scale if you do this right. Companies that recognize APIs as a strategic asset and weave them into their broader business and technology strategies will gain significant competitive advantages. They'll be able to build more powerful partnerships, release new offerings faster, scale with greater flexibility, and also you'll gain deeper insight into your customers' and partners' needs. So in short, you'll have a far greater ability to thrive in today's digital marketplace. Those that do not, they will find themselves falling further and further behind. And as you can hear here, this is more a people and process problem than a technology problem. The technology is available. The technology is mature. Using the technology correctly, that's a different story. So for this podcast, I've discussed the importance of application programming interfaces or APIs for businesses. And I've talked about how businesses and companies can successfully transition into a digital platform company. APIs, they will allow us to connect with external developers, will gain new capabilities, new data, and generate additional revenue streams. However, companies must treat APIs as strategic products rather than just technical tools. They need to actively manage APIs by creating, updating, and retiring them. So to become a digital platform company and succeed with APIs, you must adopt an open and flexible mentality. You should restructure around digital platforms and digital platform teams, and you need to find new ways to handle risk. You should also encourage innovation and be willing to change. And by leveraging APIs and partnerships, digital platform companies can gain competitive advantages, release new offerings faster, at scale more easily and achieve innovation at scale. Overall, APIs and API-first strategy 
are crucial for companies aiming to transform into a digital business. So this episode was meant to give you some ideas to chew on. I'd be up for chatting about your APIs and where you are at building them. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fog Plug, Looking Past the Fog podcast. We hope it was helpful. And until next time, happy integrating.